Uh, thank you, Andy. Uh, it's great to join with you. Happy Easter, everyone. Uh, it's a great privilege, really, to share God's word and to lead kings. It's a great video, Brett. Good job. It's the first time I've seen it. And uh, I actually very fortunate. I normally travel around the church on a Sunday, so I get to see Catford and Lee and Beckenham and Downham. And it's amazing to uh, lead a church that is growing and thriving. And thank you, each, each one of you, all that you do that make Kings the church it is. Uh, and I love preaching on Easter Sunday, uh, mainly because I, I think it is the resurrection of Jesus that impacted my life. I mean, actually radically changed my life. I'm a pastor because of the resurrection of Jesus. I'm just a young man going my own way, death of a friend, consider uh, the resurrection of Jesus, found it to be true. And so I love preaching on Easter today. And um, I thought I'd do it slightly different uh, this year. Uh, I'd ask you a question up front is, uh, are you thirsty? Or have you ever been thirsty? Have you ever been really, really thirsty? I mean, like, like you are desperate for an ice cold Coke on the back of your throat. You know, that kind of, you know, a drink, a drink, you know, really, really thirsty. I, uh, I remember one occasion, see if this, you know, gets into your own sort of journey and story. I remember once I was uh, on a romantic break with my beautiful wife, Deb, and uh, she's, a, she's a beautiful girl, actually, by the way, but that's a complete, sorry, my brain suddenly sort of drifts when I'm speaking. Anyway, and um, we were in Spain, southern Spain, and Deb likes to sit by a pool and read a book. I mean, that is life for Deb. I'm a bit more kind of high-capacity energy activist, yeah? You can, and so I want to get up and do something. So I decide, you know what I'm going to do? It's the middle of the afternoon. I don't know how hot it is, but I think I know I'll go for a walk. And I, I don't know if you ever go for a walk. I sometimes say, well, I'll walk to here, and I'll turn around, and I'll walk back. And it was up a hill and then down into a valley. And I had some water with me. I'm not that dopey. But I, I went away. But it was so hot. I mean, I, I, so, I underestimated how hot it was. Uh, I mean, it could at least, it nearly be in the 40s, 50s. It was very hot. No, it wasn't. It was, it was hot, though, okay? And I was walking along. And what happened was I was so thirsty, I drank all of my water in the first half. And I sat down in the shade. I mean, I, you know, I nearly died, everyone. I mean, I mean, I was there. I felt a bit, you know, man fluish. I was just like a bit, oh, no, what am I going to do? And I thought, no, I can make it. <laughs> and I made it back. Just, I know some of you are worried that I didn't make it back. Well, I did. So I'm here, here and now, in the live. Okay, so, um, but oh, have you ever been really thirsty when you run out of water? Yeah? And of course, we, we live in a, uh, we live in a, a, a context, urban context, where we literally have water on tap. We literally can go, you can go in this building, find a tap, and you can drink it. Uh, where a lot, lots of parts of the world, you can't do that. I have the privilege of traveling quite a bit, and uh, particularly into India, they say, always drink one of these. You don't, you don't drink the tap, or some places in Africa I've been to. You just you, because if you drink it, it, it might not go well with you. Yeah, and uh, so we live in a in a context where we are. The issue of water is just well, it's literally on tap. In fact, someone came out of the idea: why don't we sell water? Yeah, 
I mean, that is a marketing idea. Just think about this. You can get it free-ish, pretty free on tap. But what we'll do is we'll charge you a pound and we'll put it in a plastic bottle, which is not good. Just my little bit of uh, trying to save the planet there for a moment. And you can just drink it. So we do. We buy water, don't we? And someone even gave me one as the preacher today. So, gosh. So um, it's so accessible. We even pay money for it when we can get it from... um, the tap, where in other parts of the world, water is not accessible. It's precious. And you need, uh, I found out this week, you need two liters of water a day, or four pints in the old money, uh, to stay healthy. And, and without it, you die. Without water, you die. Um, and in certain parts of the world, just getting, gathering water is, is, is time-consuming. Uh, where we, we're familiar with it with the easy accessibility of water. Water is life-giving. Water brings health and fruitfulness. Uh, Last November, many of you know, I was in Zimbabwe, and I visited uh, the Ebenezer Project, which is an agricultural project just outside Bilawayo, and I visited their dam. I've got a picture of it here. As Deb, I was talking about her earlier. She's in, in the red with the sunglasses. And this is our dear friend, Rennie Cunningham. She's been to the church. She runs the Ebenezer Project. It's an agricultural training project. And this is the dam that the Cunningham family built. And without that dam, then all the agriculture and the local community doesn't have water supply. It was quite a remarkable story. We heard the story. I was hearing just the other, actually t- two weeks ago, when I was with Scott Marks, um, who's from Zim as well. We were in a meeting in Cape Town. I know, it's a hard life. And uh, he was telling me that there's a drought in Bulawayo and the, and, the, and the dam's really low. And without this water supply, the whole uh, farming system in the area, and particularly the Ebenezer Project, just wouldn't work. And, and what's happened? Because we live urban life, we've got totally con- disconnected from the rhythms of life, the seasons of life, the importance of water, and how it impacts food supply and grain and uh, vine. We're just totally connected. Our experience of life is, well, we're just going to Sainsbury's, don't we? Or Tesco's, or Waitrose, or M&S, if, you'd like, if you can. You know, and, we, and you literally go up and you just you literally buy it off the shelf, don't you? And you don't even think about all the processes that have gone to actually putting it on that shelf so that we can have supply of water and of food. Today we join with millions, but actually billions of people that are celebrating the death and resurrection of a young man. Someone who claimed to be God, someone who was killed horrifically, uh, uh, through crucifixion, nailed to a cross, and was raised from the dead as a young man, 33. As you get older, you realize 33 is a young man's age. He was killed by occupying forces, the Romans, in a little piece of land in the Middle East. A very small piece of land. Israel is no bigger than Wales. It's a small piece of land. Very insignificant. So just bear, go with me for a moment. It's a 30-year-old young man killed by the Romans uh, in a bit of land in the Middle East. And 2,000 years later, billions of people are worshipping today. As each hour of the day goes around the world and the, kind of the, the world wakes up as dawn breaks, 
Millions upon millions are gathering to worship this crucified Messiah. In the past, on a, a, a resurrection day, I would have many occasions given you an apologetic. Why can you trust the resurrection? I think I reflected on it this week. The reason I've done that is because that's my testimony. It was through looking at the, the person of Jesus and the resurrection from the dead that I came to faith. It's obviously his resurrection. If he's still in the tomb, then there's no faith. So it's quite an important part of the story. But it was through that that I became a Christian. And I thought, shall I do that today? And I thought, no, I wouldn't do it today. Uh, I'll come in at a different angle. If I was doing it today, this is what I would have done. I would have told you that he fulfilled prophetic promise. Yeah, Over 300 Old Testament prophecies, including where he was born. Which is difficult to organize, by the way. Um, his appearance to uh, the disciples, that the risen Jesus appeared to many. The fact of his empty tomb. If they wanted to stop Christianity in its tracks, then the Jewish leaders, all they needed to do was provide the body. You bring the body out and it is over. The testimony of the church, the ongoing testimony of the church. Or the one that really grabbed me was the changed lives of the disciples. What happened to those men? So they would scatter in one moment and disown Jesus. And in the next, change the known world. But I decided not to talk about that today. I thought, I'll come in at a slightly different angle and see how it goes. Which was really, I think most of us that are here today believe that. We actually believe. Even if you don't come to church very often, you believe that you, you, you believe in the historical person, Jesus. Not all of you. If you don't, then Alpha is great for you. You should go and have, ask all your questions, find out just the historical facts that are in place about the Christian faith. But I think most of us believe that. Maybe nearly all of us. In fact, probably most of us actually believe that Jesus was the Son of God and was raised from the dead. And if you take surveys that are done in our nation, even now, though we're less and less Christian, many people still believe that. It's not whether you believe it, it's whether you act upon it and apply it into your life. Which is why I want to ask you the question, is not is Jesus raised from the dead? I want to ask the question today is, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for God? And uh, I'm going to do that by just reading a few verses. I'm only going to speak for about another 15, 20 minutes, and then we're going to respond to God this morning. Uh, So, you know, try and listen. Stay with me. Um, But let's read from John 7 and verse 37 to 39. It'll come up on the screen. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Wow. What a statement. A person, the person of Christ, stands up and says, If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. And in John's Gospel, the the glorification of Jesus is related to the cross and his resurrection. Um, This passage is set in the context of the Feast of Tabernacles. Not something that we celebrate now, but the Jewish people had three major festivals. And they happened every year. It was built into the rhythm of life. And they did two things at the same time. They connected to their kind of historical journey, the journey of the Jewish people. 
And it was Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And Passover was connected to Exodus and the fact that the people were, escaped Egypt and they got away from slavery and there was deliverance. So whenever they celebrated Passover, they were celebrating deliverance and freedom from captivity. And then there was Pentecost and then there was Tabernacles. And Tabernacles was connected to uh, the wilderness where they used to set up tents. But at the same time, not only was it connected to their historical journey, their salvation story as a people, it was connected to just the agricultural cycle. So Passover was the beginning of sowing, where you literally put seed in ground. And Pentecost was the end of that season, and tabernacles was harvest time. Now, we don't, we used to, when I was a kid, we used to celebrate harvest time at school. Do you remember? Do we, do we still do that at school? Do we? We do sometimes. Well, you do it because it was so important back in the day. Now, we harvest time every, every time. Strawberries every week at Sainsbury's, yeah? Two for the price of one. I mean, it's just totally disconnected from the rhythms of life in the global world we live. But for the Jewish people, Tabernacles, also known as ingathering, was autumn when they would literally set up temporary stores, temporary tents for all the grain or the, or the vine or fruit that was brought in. And when they celebrated tabernacles, it really was a celebration about water. It was about rain. It was thanking God for rain. We don't thank God for rain, do we? We think, oh no, we live in England, it's raining again, yeah? Beautiful day today, by the way, isn't it? Do you love spring? I love spring. Beautiful time of the year. But for the Jewish people, this is so more significant. And it's in that festival that when they're celebrating rain, that Jesus stands up and says, look, if you're really thirsty, come and drink, drink of me. That'll really satisfy your soul. Uh, one scholar put it better than I could. Tabernacles incorporated another set of symbols depicting a prayer for water to replenish the country agriculturally as well as refresh the land spiritually. So the two things going on, there's spiritual renewal and there's just very practical provision of rain for the land. And water is a key theme through actually a whole of John's gospel. It's, it's the way that John, what he does, John's gospel, he takes very basic things of life like bread, and water and connects them to the spiritual soul and says, look, if you don't drink actual water, you'll die three or four days. If you don't drink of Jesus, you will die. If you don't eat, you will die. If you don't drink the, and eat the bread of life, then you will die. And he plays on these key natural themes to present a picture of who this Jesus is. Where the synoptist gospels a little bit more kind of, well, actually, they, the three of them do. They, they go, there's the birth, there's fulfillment of Old Testament pro- prophecy, there's the birth, there's the life, there's the ministry, there's the death and resurrection of Jesus. Where John's gospel starts, well, it starts from the end, from the beginning. It's a bit like Forrest Gump. You remember Forrest Gump, the great movie, it starts with, there's old Forrest, he's sitting He's in, sitting on a bench, and then they run his whole life, and they get back to the bench. That's what's happening in John's gospel. He's just right at the front. He says, look, this is it. He's the light of the world. He, he's the word of God become flesh. We have seen him, the one and only that came from God, full of grace and truth. 
Yeah, hallelujah. And he starts right at the front, and then his gospel takes us right back to the cross. And he does it by weaving in personal stories with key practical needs of life, water and bread. And so he does it in John 2, where water into wine. And uh, starts with celebration because the Messiah has come, but is also showing how shame and cleansing come through the coming of the Messiah. Now, the shame of the, the father of the bride that run out of wine. And Jesus covers the shame. And they took the cleansing pots and he turned their cleansing jars with water and into wine, showing that when Jesus comes, there's cleansing for your soul. And then John 3, Nicodemus, a religious man, someone that had kind of done everything within the law to get to God but kept falling short, approaches Jesus and says, you know, what do you have to do to come alive in God? And and Jesus says, well, you need to be born of water and you need to be born of the Spirit. If you want to come to life to God, you need to be born of water, which talks about uh, birth of through natural birth. And then there's a spiritual birth. Uh, I'm happily, I am very happily saying I am what's known as a born-again Christian, okay? Sometimes you read things like, I, I don't think there's anything but a born-again Christian, if they're a Christian. There's a, a, a natural birth and then a water birth, and there's a spiritual birth. I mean, in the New Testament, oh, actually throughout the Scriptures, river and water is seen as like a picture for the work of the Spirit. And so we have a natural birth, but then we have an internal being born again. To God. John 4, which is probably as close to John 7 as any of the verses throughout John, uh, then Jesus has an interaction where with firstly a, a man of influence and position, a religious man, he then has someone in the culture of the day was low, a woman and a Samaritan woman at that. Well, I mean, a Jew shouldn't speak to a woman, a, a Samaritan woman. Jesus asked for a drink and then these great verses in chapter 4 and 13 says, everyone who drinks this water will still go thirsty. If you drink this type of water, you will, in the end, need some more. But whoever drinks this water will be thirst again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Wow, that is some drink. Yeah? That sounds even more effective than Heineken, which, yeah? I mean, that's remarkable. This is water. If you drink this water, it will give you the gift of eternal life. Not just saving from death and sin and separation from God, but water that will give you eternal life. This is a good drink, I think, to myself. Yeah? John 5, there's the healing at the pool. Um, And John 6, Jesus walks on water, showing both his power to heal and his power over creation. And then in the middle of a festival that is celebrating the provision of rain and water, he stands up and says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And so I want to ask you today, are you thirsty? Are you interested in, in a, a drink that can satisfy your soul? That's my story. That's my testimony. 
Look, my life has got its challenges. I won't bore you with them all now, but life does. But I have drunk of this person, Jesus, and he satisfies like nothing else. That's the good news. That's the story. I want to suggest this we're all thirsty. The question is, what is the source that you drink from? Uh, when I was about 18 or 19, I was, uh, can't remember exactly, it was a long time ago, I was in the boys' brigade. And we used to go, and we had to get badges, a bit like scouts. Do you remember how it seemed really important when you were young, just get your badges? And one of them was something to do with expedition. And so what we did was we were, three of us, I remember it, two of my mates, we were dropped off in a car. We were given a map and a compass. We had to make our way to a farm where we camped overnight. And then the second day we had a break camp, and then we had to walk to somewhere else where we got picked up by another car. That's what we had to do to pass. Yeah. And so we did that. And the second morning... We broke in camp. We had the big sort of rucksack things on the back. And we're, it was a hot day. And we ran out of water. And I got thirsty. And I thought to myself, I came up with a bright idea. I know, I'll drink some water from this stream we were walking past. And so I remember, vividly I remember this. I had a little green cup, plastic cup. And I put it in the water. And I looked in. And there were lots of little black flies in it. Now, this should have been a hint to me, but I was really thirsty, really thirsty. But I'm not that stupid. I took all the little black flies out, yeah, so there's no black flies left. But what I didn't see what was everything else that was in this water, but I was so thirsty. So you, 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 people find, they seek for satisfaction of the longing, the void in their soul, in many things. And I drank this water, and it, oh. To start with, it was really refreshing. In fact, it was really refreshing. Got me to the car. Next day, not worried about it. Not a care in the world. I was actually at Crystal Palace watching Palace beat Ipswich 4-0, which doesn't happen very often, I'll tell you. I felt awful. I felt awful. I probably shouldn't go into the detail, but I will. (laughs) I was violently sick four times within the space of about 45 minutes. I don't know if you've ever been violently sick. It's, I don't, it's not nice being sick. And so first time, whoa, <laughs> look, I tell you, by the third or fourth time, there's nothing left. Have you ever been sick like that when there's nothing? It's horrible, isn't it, hey? <laughs> I'm reaching away. Whoa, whoa, and you get to what you think, God, I hope it stops. Yeah? Well, that was me. So I drank from the wrong source. And you can drink. You can, you, you, people will seek satisfaction in things to fill the void. Yeah. I'm telling you, my story, and many of us are, is that, hey, being a Christian isn't necessarily easy. If you think following Christ is easy, sorry. It's really hard. Okay? But does it satisfy the soul? Oh, yeah. It, 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 not only does it save you something... It sustains you. It gives, as John goes on to say, it gives you life in all its fullness, but also it covers you and it gives you a drink that gives you the guarantee, the hope of eternal life. Amen. Yeah. What a drink. What a drink. And the scripture, particularly like in Proverbs, warns people to make sure you drink from the right source because the world provides alternative. 
says, look, do this so you'll feel satisfied. Drink from this, you'll feel satisfied. So Proverbs 5 says things like this. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Talking about, you know, satisfy yourself sexually in the context of marriage and with the wife of your youth. Yeah, don't be tempted by all uh, fulfillment in your sexuality in other places. Which might be passing, but then comes with shame and guilt and regret. Or as a saying I read uh, this week, I like this one. Money is like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you become. Money is like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you become. So you can, you can try and fill the void through many other things. But I've found, and many of us here have found, that actually it's Jesus that ultimately satisfies. I, I don't feel unfulfilled. Okay? Some people think, well, Christianity is only for weak people. I wasn't. I was a very successful business person with my own BMW and stuff like that. I just felt called into something far bigger and greater that has eternal purposes and with a global reach. And uh, so Jesus will save the weak, but yeah, it's for everyone. It's for Pharisees and Samaritan women and anyone in between. And it's for anyone, whatever you've drunk. It comes as a free gift. It comes as a saving gift. It comes to satisfy your soul. And so I think for some of us, it's not whether we believe it or not, it's whether we're living it and realizing how wonderful this gift Jesus has given us. Ah, the water of the Holy Spirit to cleanse and to encourage and uh, to sustain and to bring life and freshness. And so in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do two things. Either today... For maybe a handful of you, to put your trust in Jesus for the first time. You've been on a journey and it's actually this whole weekend, uh, his death and resurrection. It's come to life for you. It's like, yeah, this is true. I want to drink some of this. Um, And uh, for many of us, maybe just to make a recommitment, saying, no, I'm going to drink from Jesus. I'm going to follow him. This is true. I'm not going to get distracted by the false promises of other things. I'm going to line up with Christ. And so I'm going to ask the band to come back up. We're going to sing a song, which is a great song. And in it, it has this verse. It says, are you hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. We're going to sing this together, and then I'm going to come up, and I'm just going to lead us through some prayer and give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus today, and then I'm sure we'll celebrate together all that God has done for us.